If you have your Bible, hope you'll have it open and, and look with me at some passages as we talk this morning about the best news possible. Now, if you were to ask somebody, what is the best news possible, you'll probably get different answers from different people. And, and the answers may range from very important to rather trivial. If you went where I grew up, the best possible news might sound like uh, Steelers win the Super Bowl yet again. Um, but that doesn't resonate with a whole lot of people. Uh, it, it does maybe with Beth and, and myself, but uh, that, that's important to a lot of people. Some people place that as, I couldn't hear anything better. To maybe make it a little more realistic to where we are right now, what about this? Tennessee beats Florida. 52 to 3. Now, I was afraid to put that 3 on there because somebody would say the best news would be 0. But, uh, you know, there are, again, if you talk to some people, that is all important. That's the best thing I could ever hear. Maybe some are more interested in things like their health. And some would say, fountain of youth really discovered. Boy, that would be the best news in the world if I could just be young again and not have all the things that go wrong with, with age. All those things, are they're good news, but they're not the best news. Folks, we have the best news possible to share with people. The gospel of Jesus Christ is called the gospel of Jesus Christ because the word gospel means good news. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. When we use the word gospel, just understand what you're saying is good news. Have you obeyed the good news? The good news of Jesus Christ can save our soul. What is that good news? That, that's the best possible news. The best possible news is what was just read a moment ago from John chapter 3 and verse 16 in particular. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The best possible news is that God loves you. I can't think of anything better than that. While we may think in, in terms of immediacy and in terms of pleasure in terms of prolonging our lives, um, those things pale in comparison to the fact that God loves you. And I want to share with you this morning some facts that follow because God loves you and some ways in which God demonstrates his love for us. And hopefully at the end of it, we'll be inspired to share this good news to be like Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why would I be ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ for it's the power of God and salvation? I want to share this message with people and I hope that we will be more willing to share this good news. Listen, I know what you do with good news. When, when Kelly was born, she was born in, you know, it was late at night and after everything was... You know what I did? Even though it was late at night, I got on the telephone. And I said, guess what? We have a baby girl. And I called people, woke them up. They were in bed, but I didn't care because I had good news. And I was, I was telling it. 
you, you ask Lance right now what's going on in his life, and he'll share some good news with you. They have, they have a baby. Uh, that's, that's important. You, you tell good news, and you're not concerned about necessarily protocol. This is good news. I want us to have that same feeling about the gospel of Christ. It is good news. How can we not tell it? There's an Old Testament statement from the book of 2 Kings where some men had some good news that they had discovered and were taking care of their own needs instead of sharing the good news. And one of them finally said, whoa, it's wrong for us to keep silent in a day of such good news. And so they dropped what they were doing and went and told the good news. We need to have that kind of urgency and excitement about the news that we have. Well, here's, here's part of the good news. Number one, God's patient with us. That is good news. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is, get this, He is long-suffering. That means He will suffer long with you. Uh, yesterday or sometime here recently, we were talking, oh, it was Justin maybe, last night at the devotional. Uh, that's another reason that exciting things are happening here. Justin and uh, Miranda are now here, and that, that's good news too. But he was sharing how that sometimes he would go and, and to the events of the young people and, and sit through long sessions of things, you know, to support them and, and do that kind of thing. Well, the idea is... God is long-suffering with us. He will suffer with us a long time. He doesn't just give up and get up and walk out on us. He's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm thankful that God is long-suffering. I am so thankful that He is not a God who looks at my life and says, Steve, you should know better than that. I'm through with you. He's patient. He's long-suffering. You see, I have, and I suspect you have the same problem that Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 7. Turn in in your Bible to Romans chapter 7 and listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, let's just uh, pick up in verse uh, 15. He said, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. Paul says, I I don't get it. I do not understand why I do this, but I do it. And here's what he doesn't understand. He said, for what I will to do, that I do not practice. And, but what I hate, that I do. Have you ever been there? Do Do you know exactly what Paul's talking about here? I don't understand it. The things that I want to do, I end up not doing. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that creep into my life. What is going on here? Paul was so frustrated by that or saw the frustration in that that as you come to the end of the chapter, look at verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. He said, I'm tormented by this. Who will deliver me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, the answer is found in the next verse, God and Jesus Christ. What would we do without God? Being a long-suffering, patient God. 
we struggle with sin. When you obey the gospel, I don't know, sometimes people come to the Christ and they have the, the disillusionment that when I am baptized, I'll come up out of that water and I'm not going to do anything wrong after that. Because, you see, I've been cleansed from my sin and I'm a Christian now and now I'm going to live... Well, you'll find that the things that tempted you before you were baptized will continue to tempt you after you're baptized. And you will find that sometimes you'll succumb to those temptations. Have you ever been so frustrated with yourself that you're embarrassed to pray? You've done something over and over again to the point you know better. You shouldn't have done it. You've prayed about it before. You've asked God to forgive you before. And here you, you went and did it again. Have you ever felt ashamed to talk to God? I have. But I'm glad that God is long-suffering. That He'll be patient and He'll bear with me and honor my request for forgiveness. God loves us because He's patient. Also, God loves us, and that is seen because He is a forgiving God. And that's what we've been talking about. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12 says that He will remember our sins no more. Sometimes we have a hard time forgetting and, and letting loose of the past. And, and when we see people, often we identify people by their mistakes. Oh, you haven't met them yet? Oh, that's the one who, well, back in 1934, they did, and we tell some terrible, deep, dark secret from their life. Sometimes we identify people by the sins they commit or have committed and long since been forgiven of, but we cling to it. God says, I'm not, I will not hold against you your wrongs. When I forgive you, I'm done with it. I will never throw it in your face. Maybe some of you can identify with this, but I, my, I grew up in West Virginia, and my grandparents were farmers. And we had in our house a slop bucket. Not in our house, my grandma and granddad's house. They had a slop bucket. You know what a slop bucket is? You know, they, they would take all the scraps of dinner and put in that, and it had a lid on it because it needed one. I mean, it was some nasty stuff. And then they'd take it out and feed it to the pigs that they used to have, or, or they'd go bury it. But you know what we do sometimes with our sin? We get into a tussle, and we say we forgive, and we, we scrape all that stuff in a bucket until the next time we really get into it. And then when I see that I'm not winning in this new, fresh battle, I might have to take the lid off that bucket and throw some of this old stuff out to, to level the playing field. And we treat each other that way. We hold on to all those past scraps, not God. God says, when I forgive, I'm done with it. I will not remember it against you anymore. One of the most reassuring passages to me, and it really helped me to identify as I became a parent, but turn in your Bible to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, uh, begin with me in about verse 9. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. 
He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are as high above the earth, so great his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who hear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. That passage says that God will forgive us as far as the east is from the west. Another image is that he will take our sins and cast them into the depths of the sea where they'll never be seen again. But the expression in this passage that really grabs me and it came to life for me when I had a similar situation, but this statement, as a father pities his children... So God pities his children. When Kelly was three years old, and I'm glad she's here to hear this. I'm sure she appreciates this. But when Kelly was three years old, she went to Missouri with Kim. I was too busy to go, and they went over to visit Kim's mom and dad. And and, uh, she got on a trampoline and broke her leg. No sooner than they got there, she broke her leg. Got a call home, and Kelly broke her leg. Well, I thought I was busy, but I wasn't as busy as I thought I was because I immediately left and went to Missouri. And we brought her back, and she had this little pink cast and all this delicate you know, little girl and this big old cast. It, it, it broke my heart. And so we had neighbor children right next door to us, two little girls that would come over and play with Kelly. And what Kelly did is she just scooted. It was kind of break she couldn't put any weight on, so she just scooted. Uh, wherever she went. Well, she's out in the backyard, and, and we had a swing set in the back, and, and they'd be swinging, and so off Kelly goes. She starts scooting to the swing set. By the time she gets there, they're tired of swinging. And so they go over to this magnolia tree and play house under the tree. And so there Kelly drops down off that swing, starts scooting toward the magnolia tree. By the time she gets to the magnolia tree, they go off over on this other corner. I was watching that out the kitchen window, and I couldn't take it anymore. And so I went outside, and I picked her up, and I carried her to their PlayStations that afternoon so that she could stay up with it and and play. I know what it means to pity your children. God looks at us, and when we sin and when our life is broken... He doesn't turn his head. He doesn't have this sense of disgust. He pities you. As a father pities his children, so God... That helps me to understand the character of God. He not only forgives, not just because he's obligated, he forgives because it's his desire. He pities us. He remembers what we are, that we are... We are dust, and he understands our limitations. God loves us because, and here's another point, because he's benevolent. That's another way I know that God loves us. He's just, he is a good God. He is good. Romans 8 and verse 28 gives a great promise to those who are children of God. The Bible tells us in that passage that to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose... He makes all things work together for good. Are you not glad that God is that kind of a good God? 
That means that whenever something happens in my life, though it may be a bad thing that happened, if I just hold on and ride it out, God can use this and He can bring good of it. Even if it costs me my life, God has built in a promise that He will make good come from that. I like that. It means that my life has meaning and it's not futility. I'm not just beating my head against the wall, making no progress. God promises His children that He will do something with your life. He's a good God. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7, well, ask and you shall uh, receive, seek and you'll find, knock, the door will be open. And He goes on and He says, you know, what, what father would give his son a stone if he was hungry and asked for a piece of bread? What kind of a man would do that? No, we, we know better than that. Or if he, would he give him a serpent? No, of course not. And here's the point that Jesus makes. We who are evil, you know, we're not perfect, we sin. But if we who are evil know to give good things to our children, how much more will our perfect Heavenly Father give to us? Aren't you glad God is a good God? And that even when we make requests in prayers, that He's not going to give me things that are bad for me. What if God answered all your prayers? Where would we be? How many things have we not really known the right answer to? Or maybe thought we did, and time reveals to us that that wasn't the best thing for us. Aren't you glad that God will withhold giving us things that we ask for, that we think are good, but in the long run would not be good? God is a good God. Ephesians 3 and verse 20 says that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Let's ask God. He's a God who loves us. He forgives us. He looks at us and has pity upon us. Ask Him, and He'll give you all those things that are good. And then this last point, God has an inheritance that He wants to share with you. In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 3, going through verse 4, we read about this inheritance that God has re reserved for us in heaven. And He says it is incorruptible, it is undefiled, and it does not fade away. You can run through a bank account. You can receive some great inheritance and run through it and then you're, tomorrow you have nothing. You can have an inheritance that gets stolen, that's taken away from you by defraud or, or something else. You can, you can lose it. Not what God has for you. He has an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and it doesn't fade away. You have it forever. You can't, you can't run through it. You can't use it up. And best of all, he says, it's reserved for us in heaven. And Revelation chapter 21 tells us about that place. No tears, no sorrow, no pain, no death. There will be no separations. I, I want to go to that place. God's prepared that place for us because he loves us. And so as his children this morning as we come to worship Him and pay respect to Him and show Him homage and honor as we begin this new week, let's remember the good news that we possess.
how can we not share? How can it not be a headline in our lives? God loves me. If you receive the best possible news concerning your health, concerning a financial windfall, concerning some sporting event that means a whole lot to you, what would you do? You'd tell people. You'd share it. You sure wouldn't be ashamed of it. Well, what will you do with the good news that you have? It really is the best possible news. It is news of an eternal God who loves you so much that he let his son die an agonizing death on the cross so that you could go to heaven. The message of the Bible is that Jesus came to redeem us and he left heaven and became poor, gave up the riches of heaven and became poor and lived among us so that we, in our poverty, could exchange that for the riches of heaven. What will you do with that information? Maybe you're here this morning and you've not yet responded to that. You've not obeyed the gospel of Christ. You've not responded to the fact that God loves you more than anything. Why don't you give your life to Him in appreciation? Why don't you take advantage of the blessings that He has given you? Listen, if you're here this morning and you know that you need to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you just haven't done it yet, you intend to someday, why not make that today? Why not become a, a beneficiary of the blessings that God has in Christ? If we can assist you in being baptized today, we'll do that. If you're a child of God already, but you've not been living the kind of life you should, and you know you have improvements that you need to make, maybe you want the church here to pray with you to the end that you'd be faithful, more faithful. Maybe there are things that you've done that other people know about, and the best way to say, listen, I don't do that anymore, I've changed, is just to publicly say, I want to be right with God. If that's the case, we'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.